Ladies and gentlemen, this week I'll be talking to Aiden Chadwick, who currently lives in Juneau, Alaska. We talk about Alaska, some of the universal basic income privileges that people that live in Alaska receive, working on political campaigns. This is Aiden Chadwick on The Surf Show. So, Aiden, how's it going tonight? Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. So it's a three-day weekend up here. It's uh, actually Alaska Day today, and then we get tomorrow off from work. Okay, that's exciting. What are like? What is Alaska Day? Is that just like a statewide celebration of Alaska? Yeah, pretty much. So it's uh, it's when it's on this date. I think in like 1867. It's when. Alaska became like a U.S. territory. The the Russians ceded it to the U.S. Okay. Um, so it marks the anniversary of that. Sort of like an Alaska Independence Day? Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah. So, Aiden, how'd you end up in Alaska? You're coming from, or we're talking, and you're in Juneau, is that correct? Yeah. I'm in Juneau, Alaska, the southeast part of the state. Um, yeah, so it all started freshman year of college. Um, I joined this uh, this big group chat that had a bunch of incoming freshmen in it. And um, we would just talk. You know, it was a big group me, group chat. You know, just like 30 of us in there. Um and the guy who became my roommate, Jack, was also in that group chat. And as we were in that group chat, he would make comments and stuff. And I was like, okay, this guy's pretty funny. Um, I should reach out to him, see if he has a roommate or not. And he did not. So we ended up being roommates. And he is from Juno. So, so throughout that year, um, we became pretty good friends. Um, we actually ended up joining the same fraternity. Um, as I was graduating last year, I said, I said to him, I was like, you know, my next big life decision is really up to you. Like, so I'm just following you everywhere. <laughs> but, um, so, um, in, uh, early 2019, he asked me if he, if I wanted to come work at Temsco helicopters, which is, uh, place in town that does helicopter tours, uh, goes up to the Mendenhall Glacier, um, takes people up there. And he had worked there for a couple summers. And he asked me if I wanted to do that. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go check out Alaska. Let's go see what it's like. Um, so what was the specific name of that company? Tem- Temco? Temsco. T-E-M-S-C-O. And it actually stands for... Um, it actually stands for a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it's like timber, exploration, mining, surveying, cargo, and operations, I think. Um, tourism is actually a very small part of what they do. Um, they actually do a lot more like search and rescue missions and uh, medical flights and those sort of things, much more than the tourism i imagine search and rescue is probably a large part 
of Alaska's industry, at least in comparison to somewhere like Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's just so many places you can go where if you're not careful or if you're not prepared that you can get stuck and the only the only thing that's going to be able to save you is a helicopter. Yeah, I don't think they're getting a lot of cars through the bush of Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not up yeah, not up on the mountains. There's no uh there's no four-wheelers coming to save you <laughs> on top of the mountains here. So, what was your job working with this helicopter company? So, I was a part of what they called the ground crew. Um, so my job was essentially to get, uh, the tourists that were in my, in the helicopter that I was responsible for, um, I had to get them in, I had to get them out to the helicopter on time. Uh, yeah, that was, that was basically it. Just make sure that like they were briefed on all the safety stuff and they had everything they needed and then get them out there and get them in and get them buckled into the helicopter, uh, you know, in a, in a timely fashion. Was that, was that an enjoyable aspect of the job or was that a little slow? Um, no, the tourists were definitely the least favorite aspect of the job. Like some tourists were great. Some tourists were really fun and really nice, but a lot of, uh, most of them, most of them just don't like to listen really like it just you tell them one thing and they just as soon as we get outside to like around the helicopters it's just immediately gone um they forget like we have these like there's these pathways on the ground like so you could walk out to the helicopter safely and like we tell them like we like we watched a safety video like we told them like in when they were in a large group and when we split them up into small groups, like stay in between those lines. Don't take pictures as we're walking out towards the running helicopter. Um, and then as soon as you get out there, they're just all over the place. And there's four helicopters going at the same time. And we had to, you know, we have to wear ear protection so we don't go deaf from being around them all day. And so you can't yell at them. You can't communicate with them verbally. So you just have to like run around and kind of like grab them and be like, Hey, just like vigorously wave your hands and try and get them to listen to you. It seems like it'd be a little stressful. Oh yeah, it definitely was at times. Like there was, (laughs) there was a lot of times where it was extremely difficult and like there are some people who we'd have what we call jumpers where people who were, really nervous to get on the helicopter and they like didn't want to go and it'd be like hard to get them to like go out to the helicopter and um which is understandable like it's you know i i can understand why a helicopter makes people nervous um and there's other there's other times where it's like <laughs> the helicopters the backseat of the helicopters are not big at all so like sometimes there were groups of people where I had to like move their feet in and then like slam the door and just like hope it's stuck. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> like, they, like I just had to push them in like <laughs> and then get the door closed. Um wait, wait. Why do you call them jumpers? <laughs> just because they're jumpy or like 
Because there's some more facts. And some of them would jump out at like the last second. Like they'd be like, no, I'm not mm-hmm. going. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering if someone would like got so terrified that they jumped out or something. I'd... Oh no. Oh no. Once, once you're in there and I get you buckled in, you're going like, there's no. Okay. All right. So you did a summer in Alaska. I then came back to NDSU to finish your senior year. Is that correct? Or your third, your third year? What have you? Yep. Yep. Uh, then... I got here in May last summer and then I left like third week of August. So, in the summer in Alaska, that's when the sun is always out. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, in the summer, um, especially before the solstice, um, the sun will rise at like 4.30 a.m. And it'll go down at like 10.30. Okay. So, at, at any point... At any point, is it ever out all night? Um, not not in southeast. Um, up in like the interior, I think like in Fairbanks, it is. It'll be out for twenty four hours, especially on the summer solstice. Um, but it's not quite twenty. It gets really close on the solstice. It stays like brightly light out until like one on the solstice here. So does that interrupt a lot of people's sleep cycles or at least yours? Did it interrupt yours? Initially, yeah, it was it was it was uh kind of difficult getting adjusted to that. Um and just the time difference and everything, like it's there's a lot of there's a lot of different th- there's just a lot of coming from the lower 48, there's just a lot of different things that go on here. What are some of those different things? Like, what were some of the main differences that surprised you, or some of the culture shock that you experienced? Um, I guess I guess I would say like people are just more kind of laid back here. Like, it's very like kind of maybe slow isn't the right word, but like you know, there's these boots, there's these like neoprene boots called extra toughs um that are like you know they're like waterproof you know so you can wear them everywhere you can wear them on hikes and stuff and it's like the unofficial footwear here like people will wear those everywhere and like the only people you see in like a suit here like the people who work in state government building like that's like everything else is just relaxed and kind of casual and it's just a really it's a really interesting place really unique place i feel like part of that is when there's a legitimate fear that like you might get eaten by a bear like (laughs) sometimes you just have to chill out on on everything else and just let life happen yeah well the thing the thing with the bears is that uh the 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 main bears that interact with people are actually pretty scared of people so as long as you don't do anything really stupid around them, they'll more than likely leave you alone. Do you see a lot of wildlife in like the urban area of Juno? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. My house downtown. Um, we have a bear. We've named him Kevin. 
who has come and flipped over our trash can four times now. He's just a neighborhood bear. He's just, yeah, I was just like, oh, is that Kevin again? Like, he just comes by and he just... There was one night where uh, my roommate Jeff and I were downstairs and we actually saw him, like, trying, getting, trying to get into our trash can. And, like, if it weren't for, like, the window, you know, like, the wall of our house, like, we'd be, like, three feet away from him. That's absolutely terrifying. I don't know. I think I like to think I would do well in Alaska, but I would also be way too afraid of bears. No, no, no. They're really not like, like, as long as you know what to do, like, as long as you don't come across them and like, as long as you don't come across cubs and as long as you don't, as long as you don't surprise them or run from them. They're okay. Because what what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to make yourself big and like yell at them and be like, hey, bear, like, let them know you're there. And then they more often than not just run off. You just got to show the bear who's boss. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) So do you see a lot of moose or elk? No, there's not a ton of those around here. That's that's mainly up in the interior. Like my friend Sarah from last summer who went to school in Anchorage, um, she saw a ton of moose up there in Anchorage. Um, but there's not a lot of moose around here. Okay. And as far as your living situation, like and your current situation in Alaska, what do you do for work now? Uh so I'm doing uh a year of service with the AmeriCorps. Uh, service. Uh, it's kind of like the domestic Peace Corps in a way. Um, so I'm doing like family engagement through like one of the after school programs here. So right now I'm I'm working on a series of panel events aimed at supporting parents um, through you know this whole COVID thing. Um, just trying to get local experts to like talk about things that like parents are going through now. So, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now. Um, and I'll be doing that through next July. Okay. And your current housing situation, do you live with other guys or are you living alone? I live with two other people right now. Um, I live with uh, a guy named Jeff and a girl named Charlotte. Okay. Is rent fairly affordable in Alaska? Um, not really. No, it's, you have to find like, you have to look like I got a good deal. Like I'm paying $700 a month. And and that's a good deal. That's a really good deal. Like, all of the other places I was looking at before this, like one bedroom apartments were at least a thousand dollars. That's insane. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess coming from a small city in Bemidji, Minnesota, that seems like a lot. But now that like I've looked at rents in cities like Minneapolis, that seems pretty much on par, I guess. Yeah, no, I got a great deal and the house is fully furnished. So that was, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really good deal. So as far as uh, Native Americans in Alaska, does Juno have a high concentration of Native Americans there? 
Yeah, yeah. Alaska, there's a large part of there's a large uh, there's a lot of Alaska natives living here. Um, yeah, and that's actually been one of the biggest things I've learned about since I've come back is all the history and stuff. Like um, the Alaska Native people were here for ten thousand years before uh any you know settlers came up here um and like juno has a very um sordid past and really not all that past um with native americans here um it's it's been really interesting and eye-opening um like there's a harbor just across the channel um that used to be a native village um in like the 1960s and then i would have to uh relook at the story to get the exact details but the gist of it was that they um that i think i don't know whether it was the city government or just citizens or but somehow they convinced that group of people who were living there to leave for to go somewhere else for I don't I don't know for a little bit, um, and they burned the village down, uh, so they could build the harbor. Um, so yeah, that's been just acknowledging like that past, and like learning from the people who have experienced the kind of racism and stuff that has gone on here has been really eye opening and interesting. I'm sorry, did you have a year for that? Like, I'm just wondering how recent that was in Alaskan history. Oh, did I? I oh, this is the 1960s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was the craziest part was that, like, you know, we always kind of years like, ago. Yeah. We always think, like, oh, that was before, you know, it was like, oh, all that stuff happened in like the 1800s. Like, no, this was recent. And, like, um, the school where, uh, my friend Jack, my, you know, my roommate Jack's mom works and where he went to elementary school wasn't that long ago that they discovered that that school was built on an Indian burial ground. Um, so did they continue to operate at that school or did they have to move locations? Yeah. So they had a pretty, they had a pretty long debate about what to do. Um, they thought about closing it, but at the same time, it also serves a lot of native people. So, um, what they ended up doing was they built a totem pole, um, with collaboration, you know, from the native community. Um, but I think that's very much still a sore spot for a lot of people here, especially since, Especially since, like, right across the street from the school is a graveyard, you know, from of white people, you know, hmm. you know, those graves weren't touched, you know. That's a really shocking part of history. I feel like that happens way too often, and we're just unaware of it. Yeah, the town yeah. is the town yeah, still, but... or the town or the city still pretty divided just overall um, or is there a sense of unison there 
Yeah, I don't, I can't, I don't, I don't think I've lived here long enough to really say, but like, I know like a lot of the homeless population is native Alaskan. Um, so there's very much still like discrepancies in outcomes for those people. Um, so I think it's gotten a little bit better, but at the same time, like, you know, it's like, how do you undo that history of, of, you know, violence and trauma that has gone on for hundreds of years? And I, I yeah, I, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. I'm, I think if we had a very clear cut answer for that, I think, I think by now, hopefully it'd be out, but I'm really not sure either. As far as the homeless population goes, I assume in the summer, it's fairly easily, it's fairly easy to find the place to sleep. But in the wintertime, do you know where these people go? I imagine it gets fairly cold there. How cold does it get? Uh, it actually doesn't get quite as bad as like Fargo. That's the one thing I'm looking forward to is that it's not going to be as cold. Um, I think like under 10 degrees is like like the coldest point here in the winter. So I'm I'm looking forward to that aspect of it. Um, but uh, there's a, there's a homeless shelter right downtown. Um, and there's a couple other warming shelters. Um, so I feel like the city does make an effort to try and, uh, uh, provide services to those people, but yeah, I'm sure there's still plenty of people. Like I've seen plenty of people downtown, you know, sleeping on the street. Um, and I'm sure, you know, it's like that in the winter too. Um. Now, Alaska is, I think, the only state in the United States that offers um, a yearly dividend of $1,000 to citizens. Yeah. I assume you have to be a resident. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you'll know this, but I'm curious if the homeless people get that or do you have to have a permanent address? Yeah, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about it. The perm yeah, it's a permanent fund dividend. Um and it's for it's through like it's essentially like you know, you get it's like in exchange for letting the oil companies up here, I think is kind of the deal in a very simplistic way of putting it. Um that's kind of the trade-off is that the oil companies, you know, get to do get to do business up here and the residents get the money. Um, um, yeah, I think, I think you do probably need a permanent address though. So I don't think I would. Yeah. I would assume you would need a permanent address, which seems like it really doesn't help some of the people who might need it most. Yeah. Yeah. And they would benefit a lot of people. Yeah. So, since Alaska is so isolated from the lower 48, does a lot of the food still come from the lower 48? Do you know about that? Or is it a lot of, is a lot of the food that's consumed in Alaska uh, growing or harvested in Alaska? 
Uh, yeah, most of the most of the food is from the lower forty-eight. Yeah, it comes it comes up on barges. Um, yeah, and because of that, it's pretty expensive. Uh, grocery shopping is pretty expensive here. Um, like things like alcohol and uh, that's alcohol is really expensive. Um, like a McDonald's meal is like a regular, just standard one is like 11 bucks. Um, yeah, so it comes mostly up from the lower 48 and we pay more because of that. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Do you have a car in Alaska? I do. I did buy a car when I got up here. Okay. And our car prices, do those, are those fairly similar? Yeah, I'd say the car market is pretty, it's not, uh, it's not too much different from, uh, the lower 48. Do you ever drive over to the good old Canada? (laughs) No, I actually can't. So there's no there's no roads uh, out of Juneau. Like, not even to other Alaskan nope. towns or cities? Nope. So you can, uh, well, the joke is that you can uh, get into Juneau three ways, uh, airplane, boat, or birth canal. That's disgusting. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no roads out. Um, the road goes like from like downtown. It goes um, about about 15 or so miles out to an area called Ock Bay, uh, and then like out to the ferry station a little bit. And then once you get past the ferry station, it's what uh, we call out the road. And then uh, the road goes for about 40 miles and then stops. Just dead ends? Yep. That's interesting. So I assume bush pilots are a big part of Alaskan culture then too. I mean, if you want to get from Juneau to Anchorage or something like that. Yeah, the, yeah, I think we have the, I think that's more of like really small, like rural Alaska, like up in the interior, like up north, way up there. I think that's, they depend on those a lot, but here, uh, they do, we do have a commercial airport here, so there's flights every day to Anchorage. I I'm pretty sure. Okay. So it's. Fairly similar, similar to living in a regular U.S. city, except you can't drive out of it. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. Yeah. So switching from Alaska, I know that you worked on a political campaign. And I'd like to talk about that because I don't know if we've ever really talked about that in depth. And I think it'd be cool to explore that. So you want to give us a little bit of background on that, Aiden? Yeah, so um, when I was in college, um, my sophomore year, spring of my sophomore year, um, I got an email about interning on uh, Senator Heidi Heidkamp's re-election campaign in North Dakota. Uh, And they were looking for interns, and I was like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. So 
I was able to get that job. And then I spent the next next seven months um, trying to get uh, Senator Heidkamp reelected to the Senate. Um, unfortunately, we fell short, but um, we really <laughs> we we left it all out there, and I'm proud of that. How many terms had she served prior to this reelection campaign? Just one, and she won. Um, a pretty surprising victory in her first one in 2012. Um, I think she was down like 10 or so points with like a week or two to go. Um, and she pulled out a pretty uh, big upset. And what was her political position? Like her ideology? Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Her ideology, yeah. Um, yeah, she was a she was a Democrat. Um, definitely more moderate Democrat. Um, more more in the vein of, definitely more in the vein of Joe Biden than Bernie Sanders. Um, but yeah, she was a. Yeah, she was a pretty moderate Democrat. Um, she was pro-choice in a pretty conservative state. Um, I imagine being in Fargo, you have to be a pretty moderate Democrat. You can't be like a super left progressive and have a chance. Yeah. In North Dakota. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to take, um, I mean, it just, in my, in my opinion, um, I'm someone who's on the political left, as you know, but uh, I think it's going to take a lot of work um, and it's going to take some people who some candidates who are further left are going to have to take some beatings um, before we get to that point where those messages really start to resonate. Um, Like the House candidate this year, I followed his campaign and He's going to lose by like 30 points, but he's talked about Medicare for all and um, canceling student debt and those sorts of ideas that are pretty popular nationally, but, you know, not so much in North in you know, deeply conservative North Dakota. Yeah, I. Yeah, like you said, I think a lot of candidates are going to have to take a beating because you just if your goal is to keep um, expanding social programs, then you really have to, I think, shoot, shoot at the moon and hope to end up at the stars or however the saying goes. Right. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, so what were your responsibilities on this campaign that you were working on? Um, so for a while I was just kind of like a do it all. Like I just kind of like whenever someone needed to needed me to do something, I was kind of like, you know, I was, I was the intern. I did, a, I did a lot of grunt work. I did a lot of, um, you know, menial tasks. Um, <laughs> at one point, uh, the campaign manager called, uh, a window washing company to wash the windows and, she thought that they were charging way too much. So she paid me to do it. So you were really just doing whatever, whatever the, uh, the people needed. Yeah. I was just doing whatever I was told. 
Um, I was just pretty happy to be there more than anything. So that was overall a good experience for you? Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I got, I gained a lot of friends. Um, like my friend Quan, who I considered one of my best friends, like we met through that. Um, yeah, it's just, they were just, it was, it was really nice to be a part of a team, you know, like, you know, everybody was like on the same page, like everybody was doing different things, but we're all on the same page of like, Hey, we got to get this, you know, we got to get, we got to get Heidi reelected. Like, and it was, it was nice to be a part of that. It was, you know, even, even though we lost, I still, I, I would, I would do it again for sure. So did you learn anything about your own political beliefs or about how you would any changes like you would have made to her campaign? Did you take anything politically away from it is what I mean to say? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I really, I can't say like, uh, <laughs> I don't think I have enough campaign experience to be like, Oh, this is what I would have done. Like anything like that. But um, I, I did learn a lot just from seeing, uh, just from seeing how everything worked. Uh, from the inside, um, like how, like how fundraisers, you know, how we plan those out, how we promote those, how, how we keep track of the money, how we, you know, how we deal with the press and how we, uh, you know, make sure our message is getting out there and all those sorts of things. Like it was really interesting to see that from the inside. Yeah, I can understand that. I think looking at political candidates, we see them standing on a stage and delivering a speech, but we don't see everything else that goes into it as far as the logistics, getting them there, providing them with the proper notes, um, doing the research, fact-checking the research. Oh, we don't yeah, the research, the research team, yeah. They did, they, like, everybody worked hard, but, like, the research team, they... Like they were in the office every day at 7 a.m. And they stayed like, especially towards the end of it, they were getting in at like 7 a.m. and like leaving at eight. Like they absolutely because they have to like one of the big things is, is that you have to keep track of every single thing that your opponent is saying. So you've got somebody, you know, who's just listening to every single, you know, speech you know, looking at every social media post, like all of it, you know, it's just a ton of work. How many people compose a research team for uh, candidates? So I think on ours, there was like four or five people who were strictly dedicated to just research. Okay. That seems, that seems like it would be on the smaller end than I expected. But I guess when you have everybody else on the campaign, probably also very invested in politics, they help the research team with what the rival candidate would be saying. Oh, yeah. every Yeah, everybody is. Yeah. At the same time that, you know, you know, the digital person is also looking at what, you know, they're saying what the what the opposing candidate is saying on social media, too. Like, so everybody's kind of in the loop with each other. 
So transitioning back to Alaska, but keeping the politics, what are the politics of Juneau like? Do those tend to be more conservative? That would be my guess, but it's also a bigger city. Juneau is actually very liberal. Um, Juneau is very much like, um, at least in most areas of the town, um, it's very much kind of like, a little like it's not a hundred percent, but like the West Coast hippie stereotype uh, fits in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, there's tons of people like just driving around, like especially like downtown and in the neighborhood like adjacent to downtown, which is called the Flats. Um, there's a ton of just like you know those signs that's like in this house, you know, we believe in science and Black Lives Matter, and those sorts of signs are up all over the place. Um, uh, out in the valley towards the glaciers, a little bit more conservative. Um, that tends to be where the conservative people live. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's pretty, it's pretty liberal and pretty solidly blue. That's kind of surprising. I'm, I'm not really sure why I had that like predisposition that to be more conservative. I guess I would, I'm not sure. Well, this state, well, it usually does go red. Um, the state as a whole? Yeah, it's almost always red. So I can see where you would get that. Like in, and, you know, like we talked about before, like Juno is very much isolated from uh, everywhere else in the state. So it doesn't always follow. Are you planning to stay in Alaska for a while? I'm obviously for the next year, but looking past that. Um, yeah, maybe I, I, you know, I have to, I, my plan is right now to kind of see how, uh, the winter goes, um, just cause it's a lot different from the summer and, you know, I've never, I haven't experienced winter here, um, to kind of see how that goes and see if I like it. Um, and then kind of reevaluate next July and kind of see where I want to go. But yeah, it's a, it's such a unique and beautiful place that it's, I, I want to, I want to go see other places. So I don't know if I'll stay here for, you know, for a long time right now, but I know eventually I'll be back at some point. So in a world where you stayed there, could you see yourself getting into some sort of politics, whether it be um, the local level or uh, working on somebody's campaign? Yeah. So the, the Juno is actually the capital city um, of Alaska. So the state government actually comprises a lot of the jobs. Um, it's like tourism, Tourism, mining, and government, like those are kind of the three industries uh, in the town. Um, so yeah, I can. I think if if I were to stay, I would definitely look into getting a job with the state government, I think. Okay, so now in the world that you leave, where would be your number one destination? See, that I don't know. That I, <laughs> I kind of kind of don't know (laughs) 
I get that. So, like, what what draws you to Alaska? Is it the nature of it? Is it the people? Yeah, I think I think when when Jack invited me up here to do this, um, I was kind of in need of a change of scenery. I kind of needed, um, kind of needed something different. Um, you know, and it was just one of those, uh, I guess I could say like right place, right time things. Like it was just what I, what I needed when I needed it. Like just the nature, you know, all the, the, the scenery, um, is just incredible. Like one of my favorite parts about Juno is that you can go, you can go get a different spectacular view of so many things like, and it's not that much work to like go and find that different view. Um, so I think that aspect of it and the people like Jack's parents, uh, were incredibly nice to me and they still are. Um, like they just lended us, they lended my roommates and I camping equipment not that long ago. Um, and like all the friends I made last summer were so great. Like it was just, it was just such an amazing time. Nice. Yeah. I'd love to go up to Alaska sometime. I think Juno would be cool, but I think I'd like to get into the bush a little bit more. Is that something you ventured out into yet? Or are you going to? Not yet. I definitely want to though. I definitely want to go see Denali. Um, Is that the national forest? Is that correct? No, that's the, that's the mountain. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah, it's the I think I'm pretty sure it's the tallest peak in North America. Wow. Um I think it's about I think it's I don't know for sure, so I don't want don't fact check me on this, but I think it's about 20,000 feet. Okay. I'll probably look it up after and if you're right, I'll just just leave leave it in (laughs) yeah but yeah there's so much i don't know juno's such a unique little town like it's it was built you know as a gold mining town um that's built into the base of mountains like it's like if it were built today like if someone proposed to put a town here today there was there's there'd be no way that it happened just because it's just such a unique spot to put, you know, a, a semi-decent sized city. Um, Do you know what the population is offhand? It's like 33,000. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's decent size and it's actually pretty spread out. Like there's like a, across the channel um there's douglas island um so there's kind of like there's kind of a few different there's like douglas island downtown juno um the valley out by the glacier uh ock bay and then like out the road so it's it's like thirty thousand people but it's like really spread out for thirty thousand people yeah i imagine alaska is kind of spread out as a whole 
I'm going to have to come visit you sometime in Alaska. I think that'd be really cool to see everything. You can show me around. Oh yeah, dude. It's so, and once the, and once like, hopefully, um, (laughs) hopefully this COVID stuff is under control next summer. Um, it's not looking too great right now, but, um, hopefully next summer the it's back on it's under control and like the tourism is back because that's when it's really like at its peak um it's really kind of the town really hums when there's a lot of people when there's a lot of tourists around how is alaska handling covid are they doing a decent job in your opinion um i think we're doing okay um we just had kind of a um, there was there's right now in Juneau there's a pretty large cluster among the homeless population so we're the cases are back up um, we were we were trending in the right direction um, but now we're kind of going back up um, are a lot of businesses open not as usual but like with masks and yeah other precautions yeah things are things are open but there's still a lot of places like there's a lot of places in town that have like two locations um because the town is so spread out uh like there would be there's restaurants and stuff that have like a location in the valley and then like one downtown um and uh a couple of those places like have closed their downtown locations and only left their Valley locations open. So yeah. Um, it, things are kind of back to normal, but at the same time, it also feels very empty. Um, just compared to last summer. Um, sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been different. It's been, it's been a little weird, but Yes. Yeah, yeah. Still such a nice place. Yeah. Well, Aiden, it's been fun talking to you. I think we'll wrap it up here, but I really appreciate your time. It was awesome to learn a little bit more about Alaska. You know, I definitely learned some stuff. It was fun to talk to you about your political adventures. Yeah, man. I'm glad I could, uh, glad I could be a part of this. It's fun. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime. Oh, oh one thing I did want to, <laughs> the one, I just got a couple more Juno facts for you. Um, yeah, it's here. Uh, so the town name was, it was Harrisburg or Harrisonburg. Or it was something like that, like in the initial, like in the early days of the town. And then they were, they had a vote to change the name. And the kind of urban legend is that um, Joe Juno who you can go visit his grave. He's in the city's uh, cemetery. Um, The night before the vote, he went out, he went to the Red Dog Saloon, the, the main bar in town, and he bought everybody drinks to vote for him to change the name. Nice. Juno. (laughs) And that's why it's called Juno. Um, and the other really cool fact about Juno is that it has more trail, uh, more miles of trails than roads. 
as far as hiking trails yeah or? yeah it's, it's got like okay. 250 plus miles of trails is that where the Iditarod is at? Is that Juno? No, that's up. Um, that's that's up in the interior. But the sled dogs do like they we did uh we took Temsco takes people up to do sled dog tours um up on the glacier too, in addition to uh glacier tours. And those some a lot of those dogs run in the Iditarod and it's kind of like their summer training. I think that'd be an awesome thing to witness in person from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool to go up to go to Nome, go see that finish. Nome. That's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. That's the finish. I think it starts outside of Anchorage. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. All right, Aiden. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, man. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. That was Aiden Chadwick. If you liked what you heard on the Surf Show today, please like and share this so that we can pass it around and keep growing up the audience. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.